0: Well, welcome. It's good to see you. Uh, This is indeed my last uh, sermon, as the lead pastor, as Stephen was saying, and it is actually a uh, joyful event, but it has mixed emotions. I uh, have been trying to process my emotions uh, building up to this, and they're all good, but it's been hard for me to actually uh, get my finger on what exactly it is that I'm feeling. And so, I was thinking, well, in one way, it's like somebody who really loves, uh, say, vintage cars. And you've been dreaming about having a vintage car, and finally you get one, and you spend a lot of time uh, fixing it up, and you you drive it around. You really love the car. And then uh, it comes to the time where you have to actually part with the car. And you say, well you know, I, I really like this car. It's really been great. And I, it's not like you've got another great vintage car coming up. This is your car. And uh, you're giving it over to, well, your son. And so you're happy about it, but on the other hand, it's like, but that's my car. And so in one way, uh, that's sort of the way I feel about uh, transitioning. But it doesn't totally capture it. Uh, and so I was processing that, and I was thinking, well, how else would I feel? And another emotion that I think I'm feeling would be like a parent who sees their kids graduate from college, and finally they get this really great job. And uh, you're just so, like, excited for them and proud of them. And so that emotion is also going through me, and I feel that for Stephen and Sarah, and uh, I think that even Stephen's dad would be feeling that as a pastor and knowing that his son is following in his own footsteps of what Stephen's dad did as a pastor. So there's that sort of proud, uh, excited feeling. And I know uh, Sarah's parents are delighted that uh, she's going into ministry and doing what she's she's doing. Uh, So... That kind of captures it. But then the Apostle Paul has a different kind of emotion when he's coming to the end of his ministry. And he describes it as uh, sort of the crown that he gets when he looks at the people that have been part of his church. And he said, you are my crown. And uh, there's this sort of um, delight in seeing the people uh, and saying, well, that's the reward that the Lord has given me for, for, for the work. And so... That's another emotion that uh, is going through, because I look at all the faces, and I see all the people, uh, and it's like, there's just history, there's stories. And somehow, by the grace and the goodness of God, you know, this week, I've just had a number of people, just without knowing it, share their story with me of how something happened in our lives together uh, that was significant. Uh, somebody was telling me just before their husband died how he gave his life to the Lord and how he felt totally uncomfortable going to any church, but he felt comfortable coming to this church. And then as he was dying, he he receives the Lord, and and then he's all of a sudden able to forgive so many people in his family and what an impact that made. And so, yeah, there's just all these stories about God moving in people's lives, which is so significant. But there's another emotion, also a biblical emotion, which uh, Paul has used often, which is talking about uh, running the race. And the race is more like a marathon. And so Paul is saying, you know, the whole idea here uh, is to finish well. But it's actually quite a few scriptures about this race. I mean, one is that you practice the race to win. Uh, and that you actually finish the race. So I thought, well, uh, in one sense, uh, I'm pleased that I'm finishing this part of my race. Uh, uh, I think there's still more to go, but this part is significant, and finish this part of my race. And, you know, the the book of 2 Timothy is just a great book because Paul is transitioning, he's finishing up, and Timothy is coming coming on strong. And so we've got here a verse which I think is just particularly pertinent for me. And Paul says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And it's like, wow, that's Paul's final, you know, comments. They say, Lord, can I just finish the race and can I do it well? And I cannot I remain faithful. And in a similar way, I have uh, the motions of that. It's like, Lord, thank you that I I finished my race and that I've remained faithful to you, Jesus, and I've remained faithful to my wife, and I've remained faithful to this church. And there's sort of a gratitude uh, about that. There's no sense of, like, arrogance about that because there's a sense of this is unusual. You know, there's a... There was a professor at, at uh, Fuller Theological Seminary, uh, Bobby Clinton or Robert Clinton, and he wrote a book uh, looking at all the every person listed in the Bible, and he was trying to figure out how did they finish, how well did they finish, and in his uh, study he s- found that only 47 leaders had enough uh, footage in the Bible that described how they finished. And of those uh, 47, only 30% finished well. So in other words, 70% of biblical leaders did not finish well. And it's just really, I mean, it's, it's kind of astonishing. So if you're back to you know, the race analogy, you could say, well, certain leaders finished really, really well. They ran the Boston Marathon. They finally got through all the obstacles, And when they crossed the finish line, I mean, they were just, like, excelling. And you see this when you watch the race. I mean, some people, often the winners, they finish the race, and they're just, like, in great shape. I mean, you just, like, wonder how they ever did that. And so, you know, some of the greats in the Bible, uh, names like Abraham and Joshua come to mind in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament would be Paul and Peter. I mean, they just finished the race strong. But then there are others, which, like Heartbreak Hill, really got to them, and it was really a heartbreak. And so they managed to finish the race, but they, they battled in certain segments of it. And so leaders like uh, David would come to mind, or uh, Hezekiah, or Jehoshaphat. And then there are other leaders, and if you watch the Boston Marathon, you always see those that actually cross the finish line, but they are like, completely done. I mean, they just barely make it across the line. And so leaders like Gideon or Eli or Solomon come to mind. And I think Robert Clinton was right in saying, you know, what can we focus on in terms of leadership so that we finish the race well? And so I am grateful uh, to have had the opportunity to run this race for the Lord and to finish it well. But Finishing well requires uh, really two things. It requires having the right people uh, to transition to, and it also requires the right timing to do it. And so, having the right people has been a real privilege to have S- Stephen and Sarah uh, transitioning to them. And it's just, you know, I feel really excited about it. I mean, it's it's an honor for our church. I think it's a great fit, um, and I think the Lord's hand is in it. Uh, so really excited about that. Uh, getting the timing right has been a little tricky because I'm not 65. I'm not that, you know, I've still got years left in me. And, uh, but at the same time, I feel the timing is right. And, you know, there was a particular moment for me when this became like crystal clear, and that was last year at Easter. Uh, let me just take you back. Uh, Liz and I had just come back from a missions trip uh, from Spain. And uh, when I got back, and actually when I was in Spain, I was sick. And when I came back, I was pretty depleted. And uh, I felt the Lord saying, Rob, I really want you to take a season and rest. And so I'd made plans uh, to do that. Uh, I had plans to uh, spend a month in Spain. I uh, plans to. Uh, take some, uh, some extended time off, and then COVID hit. And instead of it being like a ramp down time, it ended up being a ramp up time. And more than that, it wasn't just, you know, a ramp up time. It was, wait, the whole way we do church is now uh, really needs to be refigured out. And so when Easter came along, we were in this, like, transition of well, how do we do this? And it became very clear, very quickly, that Stephen and Sarah are digital natives, meaning d- technology uh, is not foreign to them. I am not a digital native. It's like I have to learn a whole new set of uh, skills on just like online stuff. And so it was pretty clear that Stephen and Sarah really needed to take the charge in pushing th- the envelope in this area, and, and they did a great, great job. I mean, look at the fantastic quality that we have now of an online service. It, it is really just fantastic at what Stephen and Sarah have done. And I know from behind the scenes that that has taken a tremendous amount of work. And not just work, but just like great thought process. And in fact, uh, I remember seeing how energized Sarah was in doing this. So it's just, you know, it's just the timing was, this is the time to switch. Maybe a little earlier than I would have anticipated, but it was right. And so here we are at, at this time. I wanted to just, uh, sh- like, share a few words here of what I think are really important uh, as we go forward. And uh, John Wimber, who was the founder of the Vineyard Movement, uh, when he transitioned... The movement over, uh, I think he said something was really helpful. And he said uh, to the Vineyard Church, the denomination, he says, take the best and go with that. Take the best and leave the rest. And in a similar way, I'm um, saying to Stephen and Sarah, you don't have to be me. You can take the best of what we got as a church and leave the rest. And uh, I, I feel very comfortable being excited about supporting them even if they do things which are very different. Uh, so, yes, I, I think take the, take the best and leave the rest. But what is the best? I think, again, if I'm looking at Timothy, uh, it says this in Timothy 4.2. It says, preach the word of God. So of all the things that I can say, take the best. We cannot give up on preaching the word of God. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is... Or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. And so, we've actually had a season where we've just had to do that. Encourage, rebuke, correct. I mean, there's been all sorts of crazy political political things happening this year, trying to keep unity in the church. I mean, it's been a good year, if, if you think testing is a good year, for putting these words into practice. But what I am saying is, Preaching the word of God is absolutely uh, instrumental. We we can, you know, do a lot of other things, but we have to preach the word of God. And uh, Timothy, uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, carries on here in verse 17. It says, but the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear Excuse me. So there's a sense where it's not just preaching your favorite text or the texts which are memorable or the texts which are your favorite. It's like the whole Word of God. And I think if we can preach the whole Word of God, uh, we will be in good shape. But the other thing that I feel so excited about this is I know Stephen and Sarah will preach the Word of God. This is in them. It's not like they, you know, preaching some great story and then tagging one scripture line on. Uh, they're preaching the whole word of God. So I, I would say, preach the whole word of God. And then when Moses and Joshua transitioned, we, hit, we read this in Joshua 1, Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. And then you will be successful in everything that you do. And this is not just instructions to Joshua. This is instructions for us personally. Like if we will take the word of God seriously, we will be successful in everything we do. Verse 8, it says, study the book of instruction continually. Continually. That means like you don't just read the Bible once, you study it continually. It says, meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I, again, I I feel comfortable in this. I mean, this has been a year where Stephen and Sarah have been strong and courageous. There's been, you know, everything in us trying to pull us apart as a church. And we've stuck together. We said, no, the word of God, the spirit of God, the unity of God. Let's put God first, not politics, not other things, but God. And we get that strength from the word of God. So the Word of God, I think, is one of those things that we just can't uh, deviate from. And the other thing that we cannot deviate from, I'm going to give five of these, uh, the Word of God being my longest uh, pitch. But my second one is worship. And, and that is we have to be people that want to worship God, not people that ought to worship God, not people that are feeling obligated to worship God, but where we create an environment like we have here where we want to worship God. And when I'm talking about worshiping God, it's a big topic. But part of that is actually singing to God, actually lifting God up once a week. Not once in a while, once a week, where we say, okay, we're going to focus on worshiping God. We're going to put God first, and we're going to worship God. We're going to sing to God. We're going to express our love and our thanks to God. Now of course worship also entails everything in your life. Last week Sarah said it very well. We should live lives that are consecrated to God, and I think that includes the idea that we worship God. We become holy. We become God's disciples, not just believers, not just people that head knowledge, but we passionate worshipers of God. And so I just you know thank Brian Graves that's done a great job and Beth and. All of our folks who are just, you know, put in so many hours in helping us to create an environment where we can worship God. Uh, and I know Stephen's going to do a great job on this. I mean, I am not musical. Stephen has a lot of great musical insights. It's like a nice gift. And uh, Sarah has some good thoughts about uh, worshiping. I think our worship in our church is going to go from strength to strength. I'm encouraged by it. How about being sensitive to the things of the Holy Spirit? This year has been particularly difficult to do things that are uh, Holy Spirit driven when you're doing things online. It's just much more complicated to have a word of knowledge, to express that, to experience the presence of God. But I am saying that we need to be people that just are passionate about the Spirit of God. And sensitive to the things of the Spirit of God. You know, I had one. I had so many stories, but there's one story that sort of just jumps out at me because one of the things that we say with being sensitive to the things of God is that everyone can play. Everybody can have a word from the Lord and encourage somebody else, and everybody can speak in tongues and everybody can participate in the ministry of the Spirit. And so we should. But when we were just starting this church out, uh, we didn't have a church building. We were meeting in Hopkinton uh, State Park. It was the only place we could find to meet in the summer. And in one of those meetings, uh, somebody came to visit their brother who lived in Hopkinton. And she had been part of a, on staff at a vineyard in California. And so she wanted to come and visit our church. And she, did, and she had a great visit. And she left the next day. Uh, And her brother took her down to Logan Airport. And while she was standing in the line, ready to get her ticket, she felt the Holy Spirit say, her name was Ellen, Ellen, turn around right now and go and work with Rob. And she was like, what? Don't get on this plane? She had enough sensitivity to the things of the Spirit, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. She got out of line. She went and phoned her brother and said, come pick me up. He said, I'm on the Mass Pike going back. I just dropped you off. Come pick me up. I'm going to go work for Rob. And she did. She came and she worked for John and I both at that time. And we started uh, a great ministry with uh, those in recovery. It was just terrific. But again, being sensitive to the things of God, the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, uh, I would say, well, second to last, I would say missions. Just having a church should be passionate about missions. In other words, it's a church which is passionate about things other than us. It's like, can we be passionate about the things Jesus is passionate about? Can we go and make disciples of all nations? And what is our small part in, in doing that? And then lastly, I would say never forget the poor. And, you know, I picked up a letter that I'd written to the church in 2002. And I pretty much reiterated these exact things. And when I was moving my office and I read this letter, I was so encouraged because I said, you know, here we are 23 years later and we're still pursuing passionately the same things. And so I am encouraged. We had it on our webpage at one point saying this, it might still be there, that we are Jesus-centered, we are Scripture-based, we are Spirit-empowered, and we are kingdom-focused. And I think it sums it up really well. And so uh, I want to just end our service today with a sense of great gratitude to each one of you for being part of this church, because church is not about uh, buildings, it's about people. It's about you. And I'm just really grateful for that. And I'm grateful for the future that we have with Stephen and Sarah. It's going to be a great church going forward. Bless you.